Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello and uh, welcome to the podcast. My guest today uh, most recently has been the Director of Global Digital Marketing at Roche Molecular Systems, but he is also a digital strategy and transformation leader for the life sciences industry. David Salmon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, So let's jump right into this. Um, We're going to talk about digital marketing transformation. And for the person listening to this podcast, let's paint a picture of the not-too-distant future and talk about how we get there. So when you talk about a digital transformation, we're not just talking about online marketing and doing the same things that we've been doing except delivering things digitally. Um, we're talking about doing new things that didn't used to be possible, right? So could you explain what the kind of the scope of those things? Sure. So, um, so uh, to some degree, digital transformation for our industry at least means almost in a sense um, a bit of digital catching up. Um, to, uh, to say some of the other industry verticals. But as, as a general rule, um, when I talk about digital transformation, I'm referring to not just finding new ways to use, uh, you know, to use the whole range of, uh, of tools and channels and platforms available to, um, to deliver the same information we've provided to our, um, you know, to our, uh, to our customers, our users, our um, our stakeholders in the past, but also to use the capabilities of that technology to actually transform the way we think about um, having those conversations with our audiences. Um, and in some ex- and to some extent as well, it means um, transformation of business model as well. Um, so so there's a sort of an outward facing component to the uh, to the digital transformation. There's also an inward facing component as well, because you can't really you can't really alter the way an organization talks to its healthcare providers, its patients, its um, its researchers, um, you know, the, the people that they've that they've been talking to for years. You can't really alter that conversation in any significant way without it having um, impact um, back into the organization and how you do things within the organization in terms of process, in terms of, uh, in terms of the way you think as well. So it's a, uh, so it's a, it's a sort of a, it's sort of a two-way transformation. Right. So yeah, it, um, it brings on a new set of challenges, um, that, that may, it's not just talking differently. So what, um, what are some of those opportunities you see, um, for companies in the digital future about capabilities they would have and things they might have to change. Sure. So there are a number of different, um, a number of different things that, that are, I'd, I'd say fairly obvious. Um, we, uh, we as an industry, uh, need to, in, um, in general, um, make the shift from, uh, and this is, I mean, there are a few exceptions within our industry, but as, as a whole in you know, life sciences industry, we need to move away from, uh, we need to move away from sort of these broadcast, um, 
generalized conversations about features and benefits of, you know, of our tools and our platforms and our equipment and really transform it into, um, into a conversation. And this conversation should be, um, should be relevant, not just to the people who are far down the funnel and are about to, uh, and about to make a purchase from us. Um, they should also be relevant to the people who are, you know, who are just now engaging with us as a brand. So one of the transformations that I see that's absolutely critical for our industry as a whole is to move away from, uh, from our marketing as a whole that's focused on this um, bottom part of the funnel, this, um, uh, this discussion with people who are already pretty much decided between us and, say, another company or us and another product and um, and fill back through the funnel so that we're having earlier conversations, a lot more aspirational, educational awareness, um, and speak to the topics that are important to our um, that are important to our customers. Um, and you cannot do that without um, without a significant transformation in your business. Um, this means not just going out and making a one-time buy of a marketing automation platform and a CRM platform, and um, you know, and doing a revamp of your website or setting up a Twitter account and, uh, and a Facebook account. Although those are those are those are pieces of it, but it also involves um, putting in place uh, you know policy, best practices, governance. It means not just putting the technology in place, but also um, kind of revamping the way people think about these technologies and using them. Because one of the one of the biggest challenges in putting, say, a marketing automation platform in place isn't picking the platform or buying the platform or even implementation of the platform. It's um, it's teaching the organization to utilize the platform effectively. Um, and, and again, the goal in all of this, um, no matter, you know, no matter what part of digital transformation you're talking about is, um, delivering the right content to the right people at the right time. So one aspect of digital transformation, one place we need to get as an industry is, is having this conversation, um, all up and down the, um, uh, the funnel or the customer journey. Um, and again, a lot of this is, involves, not only the technology, but how we think about uh, how we think about what we're doing. Another um, piece to this is is personalization. The technology for personalization is um, is out there, um, but it's not heavily utilized within our industry as a whole. Um, there are um, there are so many different ways that we can slice and dice our relationship with individuals. I mean, it's not. It's not a new thing to say this, but it would be an extraordinarily new thing for us as an industry to start to think in terms of a market segment of one. And that is um, that, as I see, one of the most important things that we that we're going to be doing in the next uh, you know, in the next few years within the industry, at least within the companies that I've worked with. Um, so those are two major areas of sort of customer facing transformation. Okay, so let's. Um, I want to dig into a couple of those. So first of all, I agree. Everybody in the industry. I mean, one of the gaps, digital or not, is um, building up the funnel toward uh, the top, because um, customers now there's no more. Um, 
there's a parity of information access. So, and people are able to find information about their problems much earlier than they used to be able. And so there's a gap there. If you're only talking about how to compete against a particular other product or only selling your features and benefits at the bottom, you're missing lots of people. Um, so one of the, I want to ask two questions. I'm going to ask you both right now before I forget them is the first one is how do we get that conversation going at the top? So particularly, um, and, and you, you spoke about, um, you know, it, content that's more educational and aspirational and, and speaking to their customer needs. But I want to know, just dig in a little bit more on that conversation aspect. And then the second part that um, we'll go after that is that segment of one and what that will look like. Sure. Um, so in terms of, uh, in terms of transforming the conversation, um, in a sense, this is, um, this kind of starts with our marketers. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm the same way as pretty much everybody else in our industry. I came out of a science background. Um, almost every single marketer that I know in my space either at some point or another was a, um, was, uh, was a, was a lab tech, a clinician, a, um, um, uh, you know, um, a research scientist. I mean, and this is what our industry has done you know, for decades, we recruit experts out of, you know, out of the customer base. And this, in some senses, has been a great strength for us because it means that you know, you've got a lot of highly intelligent people um, who are uh, who are on the marketing side of things. But there's also a challenge that comes out of that in that we um once you once you go inside in a sense and once you start to become a marketer i think there's something there's there there's a disconnect because a lot of the a lot of the people who um a lot of the people who do this and this is most of us again i think we we forget to remember that um that marketing is still a is still a professional discipline and it requires um not just a good understanding of your customer but a good understanding of the discipline as well so I think that with that as sort of a sort of sort of a preface, I think one of the things that that is required is sort of a re-education of our marketers, um, and it's a re-education that I've gone through, and it's been a painful one. <laughs> uh, so it's not uh, so I can I can speak to it with um, you know from the perspective of shared pain, uh, but we tend to as marketers. Um, uh, in the life sciences, love our um, love our bullet pointed features and benefits. We love the technical breakdown. We love the uh, we love the data points. But again, that only speaks to that only speaks to somebody who is that deep in the funnel. We have to start to think, and, and this is a term that's used everywhere. So again, this is nothing in, you know really original here. But we have to start to think as uh, as journalists in a sense. You have to start to um, think in terms of what's interesting to your audience. Think back to when you were in graduate school. Think back to when you were, um, you know, in your postdoc. Um, and of course, an important structured prerequisite to this activity is to, is to actually define your customer personas, define the journeys of each of these customer personas. So going through the upstream exercise of 
defining who you're talking to, what their concerns are, go through this formal exercise. It's been utilized in, in other industries now for, uh, you know, for a considerable amount of time. It enables you to start to define ways, um, particular pain points, particular interest points that you can target when you're having those conversations. Um, you know, you don't just talk to, um, you know, a, a graduate student in a, um, uh, in a microbiology lab about the, uh, you know, the latest plasma purification kit and all of its features and benefits. You talk to them about, um, you know, about challenges that are important to them day in and day out. And in that sense, that's how you, that's how you develop that conversation. That's how you become a trusted brand partner in a sense. And you learn from them in that conversation. Of course, you, you pick your channels intelligently. This means, you know, this means, this means blogging. This means helping your marketers become, um, become writers and journalists to a certain extent. But there are a lot of different, there are tons of different approaches to how, how you do this. And of course, this is something that, that your, you know, your consultancy is focused on, Chris. So, um, so I'm not really telling you anything new here, but starting the conversation means starting to think about a broader discussion with your customers than the one you're having right now. Right. Um, so that's, that's the important part. Yeah. It's not just about what your product can do, but it's getting their attention with things they care about. <clears throat> um, generally any way you can help them to see how to do their job better, you know, begins to make you that trusted brand advisor. And I, uh, this came up on a recent podcast in just a tangential way, but you know, <clears throat> I'm one of those scientists turned marketers too. And, um, we have, well, you know, we all are, I think. Yeah. I think that the, we are the rule and there's very few exceptions, but I think the companies that are willing to go outside and look for some new ideas are going to have an advantage, but we have the curse of knowledge and, and we forget what it's like, um, to not know. And, and about a particular thing, and and that's where we have to get back to. Yeah, um, no, I, I agree with you completely. And 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 I and I, for me, it also, you know, it also means having conversations outside of product focused ones in general. I mean, I, um, I mean, there's some great sites out there, some generalized sites as well as some specific sites of bloggers out there who, um, you know, who are now beginning to you know, build out huge resources for graduate students, but it's a, it's a, you know, we're just talking about that one persona. Um, that's a very tough, um, that's a very tough place to be uh, because the, the statistics on, you know, on tenured positions available, you know, are, <laughs> you know, those numbers drop while the number of PhDs generated is constantly rising. You know, so one of the, you know, so, so the kinds of things that are, keeping these guys awake at night, um, they're not, you know, they're not, what's the best, what's the best PCR enzyme? Um, the, the things that are keeping them awake is, you know, what am I going to do with this degree? Or yeah. How am I going to get there? These are the things that matter. And so if you want to, and again, you've got thousands of scientists, you know, working for these companies, um, you know, building marketing materials, um, that are talking to the smallest sliver of what's important to this group of, uh, to this group of very important, 
you know, buyer influencers. Um, you want to you want to build their trust so when the time comes for them to make a purchase um, that you've got a product to solve, then you need to be somebody that they trust on a on a broader range because because let's be honest in the research tools market um, there's no escaping commoditization um, that that's what happens now in the past that that partnership level that level of engagement that was that was the that was the province of the sales rep um, the problem is again the markets are slowing we don't have as much cash to pay the sales reps the sales reps have to be focused on you know on you know on closing the business um, so the challenge is okay how do we how do we continue to add value to that relationship but do it in a way that doesn't uh, that doesn't increase our costs and the answer to that is digital marketing it's not a replace the sales rep question it's a enhance the sales uh, relationship by ensuring that when your customers who are self-serving digitally online anyway um, are doing this um, they're doing it with you because you've got the presence, you've got the you've got the, the the conversational tools in place, and that's really what it's about. Because I mean, the data is really clear. I mean, look at the Google study that came out in what 2012 um, for um, for MedTech and MedDev, and this is um, you know buyers 57% of purchases um, are made before a sales rep is even contacted. Um, and this is in the med tech and med dev space and IBD space. So, you know, they're doing something um, in that intervening time. And it's, again, self-serving digitally. So digital transformation is about, you know, is about building out your assets and your capabilities and your platforms so that when they're doing this, it it has it is the experience of having a conversation Does that makes sense yeah and uh I, well one i love that data about the 57 percent and you have sort of clarified in my mind although i've been a believer of course um i was wondering you know come yeah inbound and content marketing is kind of a long-term game right and and selling that idea can be a challenge but um as you said earlier, there's you have a bigger opportunity. So you're you're looking at a bigger target, and at the end of your answer there, you you have declared that those people are out there and they're going to make a decision on a self serve basis. So you better get a hold of them early on. And so that's that's kind of the whole justification for doing that high level long term awareness content because if you don't grab them somebody else is going to and they're going to make a decision before you ever knew they were going to buy something yeah and and the, the i guess the other point is i mean and and you hear this all the time when you're when you're evangelizing digital internally is you know, it, yeah it happens with other markets but our people are different or our products <laughs> are different or our our micro sub segment um of the market is is different and they're and while there are, and while there are qualitative, while there are qualitative differences in specific behaviors, the trends, the trends repeat themselves over and over again. I mean, people don't, 
It doesn't matter if you're an oncologist, if you are a um, clinical laboratory director, if you are a research scientist, you don't turn off that part of your brain that buys everything on Amazon when you go into the office. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have a different behavior for your little sliver of the market than you do for everything else you want to do. It's your expectation now that you can go online and find anything you want. Exactly. And I mean, and, and you know, there's, uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to spout data, but there's, you know, there's tons of, you know, there is a lot of very good data about, um, you know, about, uh, about the behaviors of, um, of healthcare providers in, um, in getting to clinical decisions and getting to diagnostic choices, the, you know, and getting to, um, you know, script writing behavior as well. And a lot of this data continues to bear up the fact that they're increasingly date, uh, digitally native, that they are increasingly, uh, increasingly starting with search rather than almost anything else. I mean, that, I mean, that data is very, um, is very clear now. So, I mean, the, the question is, is is how do you do this and and how do you start to invest in it but um but i mean and these are and i guess this kind of goes back to what i was saying at the very beginning a lot of digital transformation in our industry is really um it is really about catching up it's not about um innovating past where things are so uh, so one of the areas in which i do see real innovation happening in our market uh, in our marketplace in general is in the sales enablement um, uh, tools and how they are tied back to closed loop uh, closed loop marketing now that's being done more effectively and more thoroughly in pharma than it is on the medical devices and, um, and life sciences side um, but that in part is driven by the fact that they've um, they've had pressures on their sales models for longer than we've had on the med dev, um, uh, you know, med tech and life sciences side. Um, and also because they've got, quite frankly, significantly larger budgets. Um, so in a sense, they, they're, they're ahead of us and, um, and we're, but we're, we're continuing to learn from that. And the great thing about that is that you've got a proliferation of companies out there that and agencies that, that build out these capacities now and that have, you know, have built out platforms that they're able to, uh, to scale cost and deployment from. And so that that's helping us on our side of things now. Cool. So, um, I want to go back to um, that second question, uh, that segment of personalization. I knew you'd get back one. To yeah, because <laughs> I'm fascinated by this thing. I, I'm just trying to picture what it looks like and how how you get to it. I mean, how maybe I have a vague idea, but you might tell sh show me that I'm wrong. So, what what does that look like? How do we get to that segment of one? Well, what it what it looks like. Um, I think the best way to do is is to start with what it looks like. Uh, let's say. Um, uh, let's say I'm, I'm an oncologist, um, in a, in a group practice in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, a, I have, um, uh, and I have a significant, um, um, I have, my specialties are, um, you know, are in, uh, say, uh, say cervical cancer, um, and, um, and let's say two, maybe two other specialties as well. 
what personalization means in my case is that um, if um, if I'm looking for information on um, on the best ways to um, let's say I, let's say I've heard somewhere that um, that that Roche and this is you know again fair disclosure I, I came out of the Roche environment so I'm using a Roche example let's say I've heard that Roche is um, uh, you know Roche has received um, you know FDA um, approval for primary screening recommendation. Uh, let's say that I want um, I want more information on this. Um, well, I can go and get this information on the primary screening recommendation anywhere. But as a part of my engagement, let's say I do happen to find uh, happen to find the Roche HP, HCP site. Um, well, at first. The information that you're able to, uh, that you're able to use to personalize that um, that experience is is minimal. We know we know where the person comes from. You know we can uh, we can even geolocalize. Um, so we could you know we could theoretically um, you know we could theoretically do some message personalization just based upon geolocalization. But what what personalization really means is that you you start with a touch. And if they're interested and if they um, if they become engaged with you, they provide information, um, you provide more information back. And as as this back and forth, as this conversation continues, um, as they uh, as they consume more information, as your information is intelligently targeted to what they want, you gain more information about them, about their concerns, about uh, about who they are, where they are, what you know, what's of interest to them. Um, you know, Google Analytics, um, uh, the new um, uh, universal, the newer version offers um, access to a wealth of uh, demographic information as well. So it's increasingly possible to understand, you know, what the uh, what the you know what the age range of the people that you're working with are, and based upon their behavior, you can you can extrapolate um, a whole range of demographic and psychographic information from from this deepening relationship so that um, so that personalization isn't just doesn't just mean that the next time that they come to the healthcare provider site, it says, hello, Dr. So-and-so. Right. Like that was personalization a decade ago. Um, personalization now means that um, that let's say we have the ability um, and this is not necessarily something we have the ability to do yet with uh, with the HP, HCP site that I'm referring to here, but let's say we have the ability to um, to understand that they're part of a of a small practice, and a small practice has has these concerns. And let's say that we also understand that they're a small practice in the southeast, where um, you know where they're dealing with um, with a with an additional subset or cross section of concerns. So let's say it's not just um, uh, let's say it's uh, let's say that an oncologist practice has, um, you know, one of their biggest concerns is um, is compliance or is, um, you know, is, is healthy eating, um, you know, but that's not necessarily a major concern for an oncologist in a different geography. Right. So we start to use that data over time to customize the message down to what an oncologist in uh, in her 
um, in her late thirties who, you know, who's, you know, who's really, whose practice is really taking off, but she's a part of a small group practice in this geography with customers who have, you know, with patients who have this demographic, what are the concerns of that specific individual? And that's what we want to get down to. That's what we want to target because that is the most engaging. I mean, it's like walking into a cocktail party and when you first meet somebody, you start to talk to them and then you find out about their interests. And so then you start to dive down in those interests, right? You don't stay at a general level because if you do, they'll wander off. Exactly. So let me ask, cause this brings up a couple of questions. So I love that description. And, um, uh, there, I see two paths to this and I want you to tell me if I'm right or if I'm missing anything. So one path that I typically think about is, you know, if you have a marketing automation system and you can do um, progressive profiling. So every time someone interacts with your content and you, you're asking them for a little more information that's different than hopefully different than what you asked for before. Some of the um, clients I've talked to that's a barrier simply because their IT department says this is the form that has to go to our CRM and there can be no variation. So that's one obstacle. And then, and I, I'd love to know how we get around that. But also the other path that I see is you are creating many kinds of content and extrapolating the data based on what they take from you. So it's an, and, and your Google Analytics. So you know where they are. And then you can associate the demographic of that area with some of those problems, like you said, maybe it's healthy eating or whatever. And then, but I guess I'm asking about the burden of creating so many types of pieces of content that would eventually give you the information you need. And I, so, so, so then to, to answer those in order, the first, the, the, so the first question um, and you're right, it is uh, the, the technical underpinnings of this are, are challenging. Um, and this is kind of what I was talking about a little bit earlier. You, you don't, um, these, this transformation is not cost neutral. It's not impact neutral. Um, you, have to, you have to identify the technical you know, policy and process infrastructure changes that you have to put in place in order to effectively pursue this vision. And that's not easy. Um, matter of fact, one of the challenges that I've had in the past with, you know, third party service providers, agencies, vendors, is that a lot of times they do what, um, uh, what Tom Dudnick has called um, overkicking their support. In other words, they, you know, they will propose these wonderful visions of what you could do, but these visions are absolutely unrealistic in light of, you know, of your organizational, you know, and resource constraints. So it's important to remember that, you know, uh, the question was, um, where should we go? And this is where we should go. But getting there, it ain't easy. <laughs> right. Um, and one of the... Um, one of the ways in which you, I mean, there are a lot of different technical, there are a lot of different potential technical solutions. Okay. Let's say you've got a legacy CRM system in place that has, that has constraints. Well, that means that maybe the CRM system um, isn't necessarily where all of this information ultimately resides. In fact, CRM systems, in my experience, um, 
are not necessarily the best places to aggregate everything about the customer experience. Um, ideally, you're, you're talking about a different data layer um, because you are aggregating data from Google Analytics or from your analytics package um, at, or from multiple analytics packages. You're aggregating data from your marketing automation platform. You're aggregating data in some cases also from your content management platform because your con content management isn't passive in all of this. In fact, your uh, you know the, the newer content management platforms have a lot of have a lot of tools built out to support personalization. So um, you know so they have to be included in the loop as well. And and let's be honest, CRMs CRMs are not designed for the most part to coordinate those activities. They are, um, you know, they are there to, um, you know, they're there essentially to, to focus on a certain portion of the activities, but they are not the coordinating. They're not the, they're not the central brain in all of this. Um, at least not by any, uh, by any, uh, by any layout I've seen work successfully in the past. So. Right. I, I like that. I, I really like, you know, I'm, we don't need, as you said, to go down that road very far, but I just like that it, that you acknowledge that it is possible to keep your marketing data separate from your CRM to some degree, and it doesn't all have to live in the same place. And I think there's advantages to be gained by doing that in some cases. No, and ideally, I don't think it does belong. It, it, it does live in the same place because, um, because CRM systems are not always necessarily equipped to deal with some of the um, with some of the with some of the regulatory and compliance aspects that we have to support um, in digital marketing as well. I mean, uh, CRM systems are um, you know are not equipped to handle strict mode tracking. They're not equipped to. Um, I mean, they're good for um, for for manual feedback, opt-in, opt-out on email listing, but but they don't have the the complex tools that are available in something like, um, you know, Marketo or Eloqua. Right. So um, let's, let's talk about examples. Are there any examples of um, either inside or outside the life sciences that someone listening to this podcast can look at? Who's doing this right? Who does something well that you could go and sort of get a taste of their experience and, and emulate. Well, I, um, I do look to pharma, um, because they have, um, pharma and biopharma are about, so when you talk about med tech, um, so when you talk, so I, let's, let's kind of break this up when you're talking about, life sciences, research tools, um, tools and products, the regulatory constraints there are significantly less than they are for say IVD, med tech, med dev. Um, sure. and so, and so I almost, I almost break those apart and, you know, and I have done in the past, you can have, um, you, you, you don't have, uh, you don't have nearly as complex a set of, um, of legal and regulatory constraints on your content generation, um, on validation of your processes and your systems as you do when you start to deal with FDA regulated products. So, so we kind of separate those out. Um, for the life sciences tools and reagents, 
Um, actually, I look to a lot of different industries there. Um, I I look to um, I look to B two B software um, and cloud industries because they um, because there's some important similarities there. Um, they're first of all they're technically further along, um, and in many cases, although not all cases, um, their B two B marketing is further along because it is really a B two B marketing play. Um, the other thing that 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 I think is an important similarity is that in life sciences, tools, and reagents, um, as a general rule, we're selling to um, and we're talking to highly intelligent, um, uh, you know, very well educated um, uh, people engaged in complex work and in and you know and having to uh, you know having to make um, purchase decisions that have you know either short term or long term impacts on their work. Um, which is very similar um, um, in descriptive terms to what you're dealing with in the tech sector. And so I think there are very strong similarities there. And because of that, um, I look to them to see, you know, to see how they, uh, how they achieve a lot of things. Um, as a matter of fact, um, one of, uh, one of the most recent people that I've hired, um, I hired specifically out of, um, out of the small, um, small high tech sector, um, to bring in house, you know, at Roche some expertise in the area of, um, of search engine marketing, um, somebody who wasn't, um, I, I think that again, one of the ways that you bring innovation in from another industry is not just watch the industry and see what they do, but hire people out of those industries. Yeah. And so that's, um, and so that's one of the industries that I look to now on the IVD, um, med tech side, I still look to the, um, to the tech industry, but the, uh, but it's a, um, it, it's a more, you have to, you have to, moderate that you have to you have to take everything that you see and try to translate it because um because you've got uh, you've got very different constraints in terms of what you can say and what you can do in that environment um and um so a lot of what i do on the ivd side uh, is i look to pharma because pharma in a sense has already kind of um, they have even more constraints than we do um, and medical devices, um, their FDA, um, their FDA communication guidelines, even though there's been some recent loosening around NPP and even though there's been, um, uh, you know, this, um, this guidance on social media that's come out, their guidelines are still in some ways more restricted than, um, than ours you know, on the, um, on the med tech and IVD side. Uh, so I tend to, so I tend to look at them, um, to see what they're doing in some ways, but in other ways, it's, um, you, you kind of have to not allow yourself to always be riding their coattails. Um, so another industry that I, that I'm a big fan of, um, for, for watching is, um, is the consumer tech, um, is the consumer tech market. So I like to look at, um, I like to look at what, um, at what startups like GoPro are doing. Well, it's not really a startup anymore, but I like to yeah. see what, I like to see what, but I also like to see what, what, what the big companies, I mean, the obvious ones like Apple um, are doing because they, even though they are very large and hidebound in a lot of ways, they are still, they're still, they're still moderately innovative, I think, in terms of their digital marketing. So I, I do tend to look there, but honestly, I think it's important to, um, to look around, but never 
never become a slave to that. I'm, I honestly, I think the single best way to drive innovation is instead understand your customer first. Know what your know what your customer wants and what your customer is used to seeing, and what they're used to needing, and you know what their biggest problems are, and find you know, and then start looking around the technology. Nice. So you may have answered my final question with that. I was going to ask you what your number one suggestion is for companies making this digital transition and how do they get started? Oh, I'd say the first thing that you need to do for digital transformation is, um, is make certain that you have, make certain that you have a commitment from, uh, from leadership to do this. Um, if your leaders aren't convinced, then um, if the leaders are not committed to it, if, and if the leaders don't translate that commitment into the willingness to put uh, to put budget to you know to explicitly put it into the goals of their of their business unit or their uh, or their organization, then then you are in for a long haul. Yeah. I can um, imagine. I, I would say that's the first and most important thing. I'd say the second most important thing is is get good people. Um, you know, you may already have good people, you know, and that may not necessarily mean hiring headcount. Um, that may mean uh, instead taking the people in your organization who are who are excited and who are enthusiastic about this and getting them up to speed. Um, there are a number of great um, uh, great companies out there that I've used for digital um, for digital education. There are a lot of different tactics and tools that you can use, but one of the most important things is um, is is building up that 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 skill and knowledge base and uh, and doing that pretty quickly because you know you know you can spend a couple of thousand dollars. Um, you know, per person to get them up to speed on digital over a six month period. Um, and then you've amplified dramatically the number of intelligent advocates that you've got in your organization because digital transformation is a long game. It really is. Um, you know, and you don't want to be the only voice in the wilderness calling for it. And so one of the single most important first things to do after making sure that there's a commitment from leadership is to um, is to amplify your internal voice, um, depending upon where you're starting, uh, and amplifying your internal expertise. Um, I'd say those are the two. You know, before you go out and start buying stuff, before you go out and start uh, you know start doing anything else, those are those are important. Well, not before, but in parallel with doing the other things, that's important. And I guess the third thing that I would say that's really important is experiment. The great thing about digital is that it is cheap to fail. Yeah. You can, you can try and fail and try and fail and then try and succeed. And it still won't cost you as much as, you know, as, you know, making a, um, a high res, high production quality, um, you know, video or building a brochure. Exactly. So, um, so I'm a huge believer in sort of, 60 to 80%, right? Um, if, if you spend 
all your time trying to get to 100 to a 100 percent strategy or to a 100 percent plan before you start trying stuff, you're never going to get off the ground in digital. So it's important to, you know, to while you're securing, you know, leadership support and amplifying, you know, your your talent base and your uh, and your voice in your um, within your within your company, it's important also to be piloting little things because these pilots, in the end, it doesn't matter how many statistics you throw at the non-believers in house. Um, or, or the skeptics. And that's good because they're scientists, again, in a lot of cases, and scientists are by nature skeptic. Um, and that's great. Um, but it means that you have to show them that it works. And the best way to do that is to try stuff. I love that. I, I, I love the try and fail. And as you say, failing in digital is cheap. And then the other, of course, I love your number one and two suggestions. And it's kind of funny that your digital transformation starts with people, you know, the people you need to convince about it and the people you need to help you do it. So um, that's a fantastic uh, place to wrap this up. I want to thank you very much for um, what was a, an enlightening and educational um, conversation for me, because although I focus on content, I don't necessarily have all the pieces of the bigger picture. And uh, I really like how you put that together for me. So thank you very much, David Salmon. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah. And um, I, I mean, I'd also say the one thing to remember in all of this is you might not necessarily have the, the, the digital piece to it, but um, I, I genuinely believe in another 10 or 15 years, um, the title digital marketer will, will won't exist anymore. It'll um, be a given, right? It'll be a given. It's it'll be a part of everybody's toolkit. It'd be like saying, um, you know, it's like saying HTML programmer now. There's no such thing. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I want to thank you for listening. And I want to take just a moment to tell you a little bit about Words to Wow Life Science Marketing. I help life science companies make content marketing easier. I will show you exactly what content you need to generate leads and close sales and how to easily repurpose it to reach your broadest possible audience. I can even help make content production easier. You can get a head start on this by downloading a full set of content marketing tools specifically for the life sciences at words, the number two, wow.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in a couple weeks.